Welcome to episode 111 of the Fitness Devil podcast. Today we've got Jordan Syed coming on. We talk a lot about his success in the industry, specifically how he's able to use his time effectively, not getting caught in the cycle of being a consumer and scrolling on social media, instead being more focused on being a creator. A lot of it's about responding to and engaging with his following and how he deals with negativity with a large following and his attitude towards it not being uh, stressed out by it too much. Stick around, enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fitness <laughs> Devil Podcast. Sorry, we're already laughing because we were having fun uh, just before we got on air. Uh, we've got Jordan Syed coming back to us. And Jordan is, if you don't know who Jordan is, well, I don't know what to tell you because I can't help you. He's probably one of the most successful figures in our corner of the industry. I mean, yeah, sure, when you talk, throw around names like Jillian Michaels, I mean, we don't respect her. Maybe she's a bit more famous, but I like Jillian. Jordan has been one of the most successful people. You like Jillian, really? Okay. Well, the, I watched Biggest Loser back in the day. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jordan has become one of the most successful professionals in our industry at breaking into the broader following, getting a greater reach, and, and getting into that mainstream audience. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that, but most importantly, just thanks for coming back, Jordan. We appreciate you being here. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm I'm really excited. And uh, just based on the introduction before we started recording, I think it's going to be a really good call. <laughs> well, what's, what's, what's happened since? Like, we were talking about, like, how long has it been? It and, like, it seems a like... A year and three quarters since we talked. You're actually one of our earliest guests. Uh, I think the first 20 episodes or so. And, uh, you know, you were the first guest that... I didn't have, I hadn't met on a trial on a trip or, or knew as a friend at that point, And I just reached out to you and you were nice enough to go, Hey, fuck, okay, let's, let's do this on on podcast at the time. But like, like life is different now. Like you were, you were in a hotel between training Gary me, and like, you're like, I have a half an hour to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like strictly between this time and this time, which if you put logic together, like you were busy back. Not to say you're not busy, but life is different now. It's like, Life is very different, and um, I mean, I'm I'm assuming my face was probably significantly fatter. Yeah. I I don't have a ton of muscle in my frame ever, but like I'm sure I had far less at that point, much higher body fat, You're and way more jacked now. Yeah, yeah, which is good. You know, I'm, fe I'm feeling good, feeling athletic. Basically, spent three years coaching Gary seven days a week, like literally seven days a week for three years straight, and traveling with him wherever he went. If he was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong. If he was in, um, if he was in Germany, I was in Germany. If he was in Ireland, I was in Ireland. Wherever he went, I went. I was spending more time in airports and hotels than I was in my own apartment, um, which was absolutely brutal. And simultaneously, one of the best investments in times of my life and greatest learning experiences, um, but for my own personal fitness, it was just, it was really fucking rough. And, um, and yeah, so that's it. Now I basically, I was supposed to stop coaching Gary, but we worked out another deal where his old coach and one of my best friends, Mike Vacanti, uh, were alternating. So three months on three months off, um, until the end of, uh, May, 2020. So what, it's December. It's no, it's October 20, what October 24th, 22nd right now. Uh, 24th. Yeah. 24th. So, um, I started coaching him again on September one and I'll stop on at the end of November. So I have a little bit over a month in my first, 
first uh, quarter with him, and uh, it's way more relaxed. Like, I'm not really traveling. We've decided, like, when I first started, when Mike first started, Gary wanted to do seven days a week. It was, like, non-negotiable, holidays, travel. Like, it didn't matter. Like, if he was going to be in London for six hours, then I would go to London and, and find a place to coach him, whether it was the airport or whatever. It was, it was ridiculous. And I think he finally, after five years of training, he was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. I was like, that's a really good idea. So basically, we train about three days a week um, right now just because he's traveling so much. So when he's here, we train. Sometimes like he'll FaceTime me, um, but otherwise, my travel schedule is way, way less now. I'm getting more sleep. I have more room for creativity and content creation, so all is good. Here's a, a question I like to sort of think about. With all that time in airports and travel, I mean, there is still downtime. I mean, you're bound to the airport, you're bound to the plane, but you theoretically would have a lot of time to write and uh, correspond with your online clients and your, um, your, your other activities, I suppose. Were you efficient with that, or do you find just the travel was actually exhausting, it was difficult to put your mind into that space? It's a really good question, and I'm glad, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, and I'm glad you did, because there's a lot to talk about for that, especially for people who, are, who think they don't have a lot of time, but maybe they're in transit a lot. Um, the first six months were absolutely brutal, and I almost quit three times, <laughs> because I went from solely working for myself in my online business, and basically being able to make my own schedule to the arguably the most outrageous schedule in the world. Um, just nonstop, very on the go, like having to book flights last minute. And um, I hadn't ever had to be productive in transit before. That wasn't ever something that like I was required to do. And it's a skill. Like you have to turn it, you have to practice it. You have to force yourself to do it. Like the last thing I wanted to do when I got into an Uber was like, take out my computer, turn on. Like, I, I didn't have a hotspot at the time in 2016. I had to buy a hotspot. I'd like figure, okay, I'm going to answer emails now. I'm going to do whatever. Um, so it was a skill that I had to pick up over the first six months. And then also basically figuring out which types of, which types of travel were better fit for certain types of content. So if I was going on a, on a 45 minute to an hour long ride to Newark airport, I knew that was a really good time for me to be able to do emails because it's a long enough ride or enough traffic where I can do that. But if it was my uh, hotel in LA, which was more of like a 15, 20 minute, it didn't make sense. Uh, it was also a little bit of a bumpy ride. So I would do a lot more like either Instagram lives or like go on my DMs. So I would figure out where I was going to spend my time in the content based on the length and the duration. It was just a skill I picked up. So by the time that I stopped coaching Gary, I think I was a, I was a fucking expert in figuring out how to be outrageously efficient wherever I was. I also, it's so funny when I first started coaching, I was always like, ah, do I want to buy the, the Wi-Fi on the plane? And then after about like a month, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? It's like a, a six hour flight. I'm, I don't want to spend $20 when I could literally get like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of work done by the end of the flight. So really learning not just about how to be more efficient, but also the value of what you can produce over that time period. It's like the dollar value is, is outrageously high for what you can do in a six hour flight. That was one thing. So like even I've been traveling a lot lately with my new projects and the Wi-Fi on the plane, you like you don't think about doing it, like because I don't know, maybe it was just a cheap ass before, but you have no interruptions because it's only Wi-Fi, so you can have the internet, but like there's nothing else 
piling down and you, I get so much work done, like so much work. The, I was always way more efficient for doing client programs and emails on a plane than anywhere else. Cause you can't go anywhere. Put my headphones on and just go. It was at, and like it was just absolutely amazing. Anywhere if I'm at my apartment or in a coffee shop or whatever, there's so many more distractions. But uh, yeah, those were great. And there were some flights, and by some I mean a lot. Like probably upwards of 20 flights were for the entire flight. All I did was answer Instagram DMs and make a post. Like that was it. Like I would spend hours. And I think this is something that a lot of people either they don't believe me when I say it, or they they like. I, they don't believe me or they just never would have thought of it. I spend hours in my DMs every day. Like the amount of time that I spend interacting with individuals on a one-on-one -on -one basis in my Instagram um, and also yes on Twitter and yes on YouTube, but mainly Instagram is I think if people had any idea, because most people are trying to get one piece of content to go viral. Like they're just like, okay, well how do I get this one piece of content to go viral? And they spend all their time on that. Whereas if you spend more time actually interacting with the individuals, you number one, you learn which content is probably going to go viral just because you're actually interacting with these people, understanding what questions they have, how to frame it for them. And they're going to be your biggest supporters. It's like people don't understand over the course of a six hour flight, you DM a hundred people and you do that consistently, like at least a hundred people, like it really does pay off like uh, in massive proportions. I guess it could also like, I was going to say that, I'm sorry, I'm fumbling over this next question because you got successful in a large part because you had great engagement with your following and that just sort of blew up. That was one of the elements to it. I think with some people, they can get sidetracked by feeling like being on social media, participating in, in arguments or discussions that they're being productive when it actually pulls them away from actually doing things like writing or content creation. Uh, any thoughts on kind of drawing a line there? You know, it's a, again, really fucking good question. Um, I think most coaches and most people, the vast majority of people spend their time on social media consuming content, consuming whether if you're a fitness coach, like either other coaches or just on your feed, like whatever it is, like looking at, like I look at my girlfriend's uh, Instagram, I, I, Gary gave me a really funny tip once. He was like, he, he's like, if you really want to know what a person is actually about, go look at their explore feed on Instagram. It'll tell you everything you need to know. It's like, it's the most advanced algorithm to tell you exactly what a person is interested in. And, uh, and so like, I'll look at my girlfriend. It's all like just shopping and clothes. And there's some fitness stuff in there too. And like, she'll spend hours just like on Instagram and YouTube, just like looking at, at like clothing design and makeup and da, da, da. And coaches, a lot of times, the ones who like say like, I'm trying to build my audience. I'm trying to get more content out. You actually look at what they're doing on social media. It's a lot of consuming. It's a lot of arguing in the comments. It's a lot of like just looking at what others are doing. It's not actually creating. And I, I've always wanted to figure out a way to, to figure out which screens on Instagram like I spend the most time on to like show the differential between what a consumer does versus a creator does. For me, I spend next to zero time on my actual home feed, like looking at other posts. I go look at what people are interacting and commenting and liking on my stuff. And then I go directly into my DMS or I go into making a new post and that's it. Like I do not spend time on the home feed. I don't spend realistically more than 15 minutes on my home feed other than to go and like my clients posts or like my inner circle members posts and like write some encouraging whatever, but that's it. Like that's all I do. 
And I actually mainly only follow people who are clients or inner circle members. Um, and that's it. Like I don't, I used to follow a lot of boxing and MMA, but like then I would spend hours watching boxing and MMA. I was like, fuck, I can't be doing this. So I deliberately stopped doing that. But I think a lot of people think they're actually spending time working when they're really just consuming and they're getting all riled up. I was actually talking about this and I get flack every time I say this. I'm not a fan of self-help books. Oh, you, you'll fit right in with us then. <laughs> I, I, I did a podcast on this and I got a lot of flack for it, but it's, it's the truth. And I'm not going to lie just because some people will disagree with me and you're welcome to disagree. I don't have something inherently wrong with self-help books. I have something wrong with when you've read five self-help books, but actually haven't done anything where it's like, I think a lot of people will read self-help books and read new ones and new ones and new ones because just the act of reading it feels like you're doing something. Yeah, your brain, like the, even thinking about positive affirmations, it's like you did the thing. Like it, without it, actually doing it, like the brain still recognizes it. it gets, you get a dopamine hit about thinking about the success you could have with the book. And it's like, fuck. I've got a couple of thoughts there too because people think, oh, because every episode we ask about a, a book someone suggests and they might think that I'm a, a supporter of a lot of self-help self -help books. Number one, a lot of stuff is titled self-help is garbage anyway, and I don't even <laughs> gravitate towards the, the stuff that's heavily marketed, especially if it's got swearing in the title. Uh, we'll get into that. But the place where I consume books that would be even venture into that sort of territory is while I'm driving or cooking. I'm habit stacking where I couldn't really be doing anything else that's more valuable. My free sit-down time, right now I'm reading Brett Contreras' Glute Lab. That is something I can't consume audio. That is valuable education. Yeah, but, but there's a difference between like trying, like what Jordan's saying was like totally like consuming information so you can do something and you never do it. You just like books. Like I don't know. There's a there's a big difference. there's a truth there. But the point that Jordan is getting at the underlying point is most important. Is you can it's just like absorbing social media versus content creation. You can exactly seek that. knowledge. You can seek 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 because you think you're doing something that's going to help you. But if you don't actually put that stuff down and actually get into the, the effort of creating knowledge, writing, uh, it, like the last time we talked, we talked about infographics. That's not such a hot thing anymore. But doing whatever you need to get your message out there, interact with your audience, stuff that really delivers value. And I think a lot of people get stuck in this mode of, well, I need to know more. I need to learn more before I can do this stuff. It's, it's such a dangerous trap to fall into because you feel like you're actually accomplishing something when, and it's not like you're not like you're accomplishing more knowledge, but there comes a point where more knowledge does more harm than good. Where it's like, if you're not actually practically applying that knowledge and moving forward, what good is it doing you? And, and it's actually interesting. If you look at the evolution of the fitness industry before social media came out and even before, like, uh, like I'm, sort of during, during like the forum ages, like when people were deep, like deep in the forums, I think, and even maybe before that, the major issue was a lack of knowledge. There wasn't enough, people didn't know what to do. Now you can have my post talking about how calories are number one for weight loss or fat loss. And then a post directly beneath it talking about how calories don't fucking matter at all. And like keto this or whatever is like paleo or vegan, whatever. There's so much information that people now they have too much, they have too much knowledge and they don't know what to believe or anything. So it's like, and that can cripple you and prevent you from taking action. And I think the same thing happens with content creators where it's like, they spend so much time looking at what other people are doing and then either thinking, oh, well, everything's already been said. So why would I say anything? And, or just like being like, I don't know what to post. And so they don't do anything at all. It's, 
it basically ends up in a perpetual cycle of not helping anyone else and not helping yourself. Well, it comes back to, you remember like, so we talked about the four mages, but like that was the age of like, there's no information. So you'd program hop because you would, you would find a new program. Like I'm going to do this. And you'd see this thing in the magazines. So you'd go do this. I read this guy in the forum. I'm going to do this. And then you actually don't get good at anything. Because exactly. you never sit down and, and sit in that information long enough to figure out why it's good and why it isn't and have your own thoughts about it. Because you just try it and it's like we were saying with people are worried about their content going viral. If it doesn't go viral, a lot of people just quit. Like they're done. Didn't work. And I always, it, it's like so shocking to me because these are the coaches who are like, they get mad when, uh, when their clients like, I, 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 I've been doing the everything perfectly for like a week and I, I don't have the results yet. And it's like, what the fuck? Like patience, motherfucker, patience, patience. And I'm like, you did one post, you did one fitness post and you're mad. Or like you did, let's give you the benefit of the doubt. You did 30 days of fitness posts in a row. Mazel tub. What if your client did 30 days of hitting their calories and then they got pissed that they didn't have a six pack? I would hope that you would have a very serious tough love conversation to get them in check. It's like, you're mad that you didn't get any new clients in 30 days of posting, like for the first time ever, like Jesus, you better like, I, I very much believe the main reason that I was able to get to where I've, I've gotten is because the first two years of it, I didn't know that it was possible to have an online business. I didn't know that making money was possible from it. I didn't real like, I didn't have PayPal. I literally was just writing articles on my website, which looked like shit. And I was putting up terrible YouTube videos with awful sound quality and like my like fat chubby face and like super nervous on camera. Like, hi guys, my name is Jordan Syatt from SyattFitness.com. Like awful, awful, awful like presentation, but the content was really good. And if I kept putting out content with the intent to make a sale on the back end, I would have felt like I was failing. But because I didn't know that sales were possible and I just kept putting out more and more and more and more and more, then when it started coming, I was like, oh, cool, this is great. But like too many coaches are putting out content with the intent of a sale in the back and it's like you're shortchanging everybody else and you're not going to get what you want. I suppose we could throw in a little Gary here. It's like, what is it? Uh, jab, 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 hook? Or what? Yeah, jab, 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 right hook. Right hook, there you go. And it's the whole idea of putting a lot of information without asking for the sale and every once in a while you actually then throw it in and ask for Well, that the was sale. the infancy of YouTube. Like that was like how all these YouTube people, like if you look back at the old G's, they, they weren't making shit off that stuff. And then, and then, but now everyone coming in is like, well, you need to do YouTube. And like you said, if they don't make money right away, it's like, well, it didn't work. It's like, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. Like if that's your goal, if it's really your goal to make money off of it, it's not going to happen. Right away. It's ex I think if you're in, in the same way that we tell our clients, Hey, listen, use the scale as a tool, but probably not the best idea to have like a legitimate goal weight and really look at the scale every single day and expect massive changes. Same thing with, with getting new clients or bringing in new money. It's like the exact same thing. You should be putting out content, doing the right thing. In the same way your client should be eating their fruits and vegetables, drinking their water, having lean protein, getting their workouts in and using the scale as a tool along the way. You should be making your content you should be DMing people. You should be researching how to be a better coach. You should be doing all this stuff on a consistent basis. And like over time, you should see an upward trend in consultation requests and, and getting new clients and all this other stuff. But don't you dare think that's going to number one, like go up every single day. And odds are the very beginning is going to take a lot more time and effort. And the same, like the first 30 days of counting calories is very difficult. You have to learn a whole new skill. 
you have to learn what macro, what, what the macros are, what, what, how many calories are in certain foods. You got to learn the calorie tracking app, all this other stuff. Your first 30 days of content will be the hardest and it will get better and better from there. But don't expect much in return on the back end until like you've been doing it for a long time. This goes back to the conversation we had in the first time you were on the podcast and and some other podcasts I've heard you on, we were talking about you and Carter Good and some of the other people early in the industry explosion of infographics and doing these daily challenges. I don't want to go too far into that. I want to more pivot into the aftermath. And what I said when we started this podcast, you're someone who's really breaking into a more mainstream audience. You know, you've got a big following and you're more recognizable. So I'll reframe the question I originally intended to ask in that what's the value in having gotten there and what's next? What do you do? Um, oh man. The, I mean, fuck the value in having gotten there is there's a lot. I think the main thing, and I actually, I just got a DM about this earlier was, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I very much believe the science based fitness industry is finally growing to the point where it's starting to become much more common knowledge. Like it's not common knowledge yet, but it's getting there to the point where the vast majority of people I speak with on a, on a regular basis, just everyday people know that breakfast is not the most important meal a day anymore. Like they just know that now, which is very cool because that was not the case five years ago. Um, seeing intermittent fasting popping up in, in mainstream fitness articles, seeing it popping up in, uh, in business insider or whatever. It's like seeing these terms that are like discussing meal frequency, literally the terms of meal frequency in like a newspaper, or it's like, that's very, this wasn't what I would see before. Um, also you can see it in the gym too. I remember seven years ago being in the gym and most people were doing really stupid shit. Like the vast majority of people were doing very stupid shit. Now the vast majority of people are doing, I see farmer's walks on a regular basis. I see deadlifts on a regular basis. I see squats on a regular basis. I see gyms really doing their best to get more squat racks, to get more bench presses, to get more TRX, to get, and not that machines are bad. Like I'm actually spending most of my time on machines now, but I'm seeing a lot more people training or or trying to train intelligently, whereas before it was just like they had no idea what they were doing. You can see this mainstream. Well, one of the things that I feel uh, is happening, like like you said, in these gyms, you're seeing things like hip thrust, for example, and you can probably attribute a lot of that to Brett Contreras and then the other people who are following and sharing uh, hip thrusts and, and other glute exercises, and that's reached well, mainstream. Females in the gym, females especially. You're right. I totally see more deadlifting. Uh, sometimes you see people who are doing really good quality Olympic lifting, uh, like lots more fairways carries, stuff that isn't just the shitty looking bench press and curl stuff that, I mean, I grew up in that generation of stuff uh, when I first started stepping into gyms. So yeah. It's definitely happening. And so some of the people I feel like are really pushing this stuff. We talked this whole concept with Sohi Lee last week on the podcast. And I know Brett Contreras is someone who's developed a big following. Uh, yourself, Carter Good is really hitting critical mass. He's someone who's basically like I sort of see as a student of yours that was really successful, largely because of a lot of the stuff that you work with him on, and he's doing really well. So I value this stuff a lot, and I think it's really important so that we were countering a lot of the the old school bro bullshit and a lot of the pseudoscientific fluff that's floating around on. But then the old school bro, because you're doing 
we totally skipped over the question. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're with Paul doing old school bro stuff. You're just doing it more intelligently now. So now there's like a reasoning behind some of the stuff we had no reason for. There's a lot of good old school bro stuff that always worked, though, right? It's, it's understanding yeah. what's valuable and what isn't. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's actually really interesting because the, the vast majority of my lifting career was basically started out as a wrestler. Then I went to directly into like kettlebells for, for a while, then powerlifting. Powerlifting was like it. And I did that for a long time. And um, I still identify, identify as, a, as a powerlifter in terms of like, that's just, that's what my root is. Like, that's like when I go in the gym, like, that's what I feel. It's like in my DNA, that's what I feel. And when I stopped powerlifting after I, after I hit four times body weight, it felt like there's a big, uh, there's a, a, it almost felt like I was doing something wrong like to go to a different style of training. It felt very odd for me. Um, but I love that now I actually, I worked with Brian Cron several years ago before I started working with Gary and now working with Paul, I really like it because I'm learning a whole new science and a whole new style of training. And, and I know coaches say it a lot, but i I outrageously value hiring a coach who specializes in something that you know next to nothing about because the, the value that, that, that then I've been able to give to my audience and to my clients and my inner circle members from just from the little bit I've been able to learn with Paul has been amazing. And like, it's fun and it's exciting and it's new and getting better results. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's also very interesting to see in addition to people coming in the gym with more knowledge overall, like to see them, you see it being practically applied pretty well. And it's actually, I have mixed feelings. For example, the swipe workouts on Instagram right? Like you see like a lot of these people doing those swipe workouts that are quite frankly, pretty fucking obnoxious. But I will say this, I think they do more good than harm. And depending on who they're coming from, um, where you see these swipe workouts and you see these people with really large audiences doing hamstring curls on a physio ball and doing single leg hip thrusts and doing really good push-ups and doing chin-ups. And all of a sudden, Maybe that workout's not the best design program, and it's certainly not periodized. But you then have people who are following them going to the gym and doing these workouts. I'm like, I would way rather you do that than some like nonsense that you got from like a website from ten years ago. It's like uh, I do think they're doing way more good than harm. And even if that workout might not be the best, maybe they'll learn something from it. Where then they'll Google it, and then they'll start like learning from there. It's like it acts as the impetus to find more. So I really do think the the cool part about being in the mainstream is having the ability to affect the people who need it most and have no, and like just had no idea about it before. And they were really just going in blind. Well, you could basically, you could be that guy that takes your audience and does swipe workouts, but you could do them legit. You know what I mean? Like you have the opportunity to do it evidence-based way where the other people, I don't even know if the other people could even have that ability, even if they wanted to. You know, because that takes, that takes years in the trenches to actually understand that. That's a really good point. And the reality is, uh, it's not that the swipe workouts are bad. It's, it's how they're doing the swipe workouts, how they're presenting the swipe workouts. And I think you made a really good point in that I actually, I did a podcast with a young woman. She reached out to me. She, uh, she was like, I'm, I'm getting bored as a coach. And she was 20 or 21. And I was like, <laughs> I was like she was like, I'm just getting bored writing programs. And I love writing programs. So like, I fucking love it. I really enjoy it. And she, and I was like, how many books have you read on, on program design? And she was like, books. I was like, yeah, whole books on program design. She was like, honestly, I didn't even know they existed. I was like, that's like part of the problem in terms of 
that's one of the, the issues with a lot of people on Instagram now is like they get their entire education from Instagram, yeah. like from other coaches. And they literally don't even think to go like, oh, let's go on Google and look at like how to write a good workout and like get books associated with it. It's like, it's so far down their, their like mind in terms of what to be searching for. They didn't even know they should be searching for that. So yeah, so that's, I think it's one of the bigger issues in that realm. Well, that's the norm. I'd say like a lot of people, like that's where it's like, you could look at your Instagram and do the same thing. Like if I'm like, I don't know anything about macro counting or working out, you could literally go through a year and like you would be pretty decently smart. Like you would have the basics to do it. Yeah. So, but like, that's not a specific, that you can't, someone can't read your Instagram and go be a trainer or maybe they could, but like, you know what I mean? Like it's not an education. That's the standard of what you need to be. Good. I'll, I'll go, I'll frame it a different way. And this is something, it's kind of funny. I remember this thought, you know, wishing I could somehow grab all of the articles and everything that Brett Contreras has ever written or done or said on glutes. And it just, it's such a daunting idea that you never really penetrate it. And then the motherfucker releases a book that takes it all into one place. And I'm like, I'm buying that thing. And it's a hundred bucks, right? With shipping. You basically made the book. And all this, all this knowledge accumulated is condensed down to stuff that matters. It's perfect. And there's tons of these books out there. Uh, there's strength training stuff by guys like Eric Cressy. Mike Boyle has written great Eric stuff. Uh, Helms has put out tons of great information. Uh, everything at a Renaissance periodization, Mike Isertel stuff. But, but that's go hard. grab this stuff, and it doesn't really cost very much relative to what you're getting out of it. So I think there's a ton of value in that. I think it's just hard. Instagram's easy. It's, like it's really easy to consume Instagram. Like it's so easy. You know what's really interesting is I think what's what's happening is Instagram has shown people it's it's made fitness more accessible, right? So now online coaching has become a very popular thing. It's like I mean back in 2011, 2012 when I started nobody was doing it or very few people and now it's like it's not weird to say yeah i have an online coach like people are like oh cool like it's when i started saying like i was going to do online coaching people were like what the fuck are you talking about like how are you going to do that so now it's becoming a thing where a lot of people are doing it and a lot of people across a lot of demographics like you could have a college a college athlete doing it all the way up to like a 65 year old woman doing it and uh which is amazing what i think is happening though is a lot of people are doing it they're getting coached by one person and they're like this is so cool. I want to do this too. And a lot of people who were coached once or twice, like I could do this. I could, I could write workouts like this and I could just send them over an email and then I could coach people and I could be an online coach too. And that's what a lot of people are doing. And because they started from following their favorite influencer on Instagram, that's all they know. They don't know about periodization. They don't know program design. They don't know this. And so they don't even know Never mind, like to go look for something. They don't know what terms to search. They don't even know it exists. So I think that's really where so much of the the lack of information, the lack of knowledge is coming from, is people who are just super amped about the idea of coaching people, but no, no idea of knowledge. And that's actually, it's been very interesting for me to see with so much of a mainstream audience. I, the vast majority of my audience is more mainstream people who are not in the fitness industry, but arguably the most engaged people are coaches and people who are thinking about becoming fitness professionals like the the people who are most engaged in my content are the ones who are the minority in terms of like they're they're not the actual uh the mainstream audience but they absolutely love fitness and are either coaches already or want to be coaches well and i'm not surprised that people are gravitating towards you to learn about the industry uh there's a lot of people i followed and you know anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that i'll say very kind things about all of our guests but 
your podcast with Pat Flynn. Uh, what's the exact title of it? The online fitness business, business podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. one of only a couple of podcasts <laughs> that I've ever gone back and re-listened to episodes because the stuff you guys talk about is that good. That makes me super happy, man. Thank you. And uh, I obviously wish you guys kept doing it, but I know that you're crazy busy with all the stuff you're involved in. Like that, that is really one of the most valuable things. And I recently found myself wanting to brush up on, on a few things. I remember you guys had some good episodes on those topics. So I went back to that stuff. And ha, has that, that stuff, stuff, has that stuff changed? Because this is actually good. Cause that was like, I don't, I don't know. Any three, probably three ish years ago, a little over three years ago. Something would, would like, has the landscape changed that much where that stuff doesn't work as well? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it changed? Cause like I still refer people to that. Like it's the gold standard. Cause I'm like, well, this is way easier than telling them what to do. We'll listen to this like six hours or whatever, eight hours of it. You know, I think the, there is stuff that's changed and some of my opinions have changed, but the principles of what we discuss hold true in, in, in a variety of different ways. Um, but for example, when I started with Gary, before I started with Gary, I was very much in the email world and that's like, that's where Pat just, he dominates on a level that I can't even begin to say. And I learned email from Pat. Like I, I learned everything email from Pat and I owe him basically everything. Cause I hired three or four coaches before Pat that were just awful. Just like really terrible invest, like just not good. And it wasn't a waste of money because that led me to Pat. But when I hired Pat, I was like, wow, this is what a great business coach is. And he taught me email. Um, from email after that, when I started with Gary, I was like, I'm going to go all in on social media because I'm with Gary. It would make zero sense for me not to take advantage of that. So that's what I did. And I, I basically went from emailing four to six times a week to emailing maybe once a week at most. Like, like sometimes it'd be like once every 10 days and really just going hard on social media. And it was very interesting because the email crowd always says like emails king emails it social media sucks. Like don't even bother with social media. The social media crowd says like, I don't even know what an email list is. And like, then they're really actually struggling to make sales. And what I've realized is surprise, surprise, both of them are better than either alone. And it comes down to email is actually the best place for sales to actually close a sale. But your conversion rate will radically increase when you have an engaged social media of people who trust you. And it's, it's so funny how this goes overlooked. And actually I've spoken with Pat about this a lot and I've, I've actually changed his mind a fair amount in terms of building a social media when building an email list, when you're as good as Pat is actually very easy when, cause what Pat does is Pat just runs a lot of advertisements towards his email list and in, in various ways over Facebook. And he has, it's all set. Like he has it done. He just puts money in and boom goes. And a lot of people will come on his email list and he has things set up and boom, he, he gets the attention that way. Organically building a social media audience is very difficult. It is outrageously time consuming. There's an outrageous amount of time and effort. And I mean, you could like literally, I posted three times a day every day for the better part of a year. And for the first seven months, it didn't really change much. It only until from like December until April, not much happened. And April 7th, 27, 2017, that's when shit changed. That's when I had my first viral post. And that's when I like started to really like understand, oh, this is like what's going to work right now. But it took me literally like six plus months of three times a day, every single day, several hundred posts to make any type of a dent with that. And most people aren't willing to do that. So 
But if you are willing to do it and you get it happen, you have that, like you strike lightning and now you have a big, or you have a, an engaged email list and an engaged social media audience that is by far going to be way better than either one alone. We talked to even, so Greg Knuckles is a good example. Like he's just like, I have an engaged audience. They're all engineers. Like they're just like me. But his open rate, he was, he's telling us on the podcast was like over 50% on his email list that's converted from Instagram. And he's like, that's pretty sick. Like, and he's like, I don't know much about the metrics, but like, that's insane. It's insanity. And, and I believe it too. I, I very much believe it because he's very, he has a great engaged audience and, uh, and he's cultivated it very well. When they launched uh, Stronger by Science podcast, I mean, that thing was over 10,000 listens within a couple of weeks, I think, per episode. That That's thing exploded because he had the platform of the engaged followers, like you said. And then when he decided, all right, we're going to launch this thing, shit blew the fuck up. But it took, people often don't see the, and Greg's still a fairly young guy in our industry, so are you for that matter. But you've been doing this shit since you were in your mid-teens and earlier, right? You mentioned powerlifting shit. I mean, you were at Westside Barbell as a fucking... <laughs> almost a preteen yeah, doing right. this shit, right? Yeah, so, I remember Brandon Lilly was like, I, I thought you were a cross-country runner when you got in here. <laughs> what, did you, what did you think of the documentary? I had, that you would have been around. Oh, you haven't seen it? Oh, I really haven't I seen it. I need to sit down and watch it. It's actually okay. Like, to not watch it means that you're, like, probably working. I almost, on principle, don't watch documentaries because I think the vast majority of documentaries, I mean, People will talk about we're pivoting a bit, but we can actually go into our next question about the Big Mac thing we did, uh, like Game Changers with Arnold, and people are sharing this shit around like crazy. And my response to any nutritional documentaries is usually the same default. It's usually very polarized, very biased. Um, There's a new one. I have. To, I, I almost don't want to watch it because everyone says it's worse than what the hell the other one combined. Which one is that? The Arnold one? Is no, the game, changers? the game Changers. That's yeah, that's the Arnold one. Okay, yeah, Arnold. I featured in that. So Game Changers. I can't watch it because. Is it, well, have you seen it? No, and I, and I won't. And honestly, I almost should just so that I'm more aware of what's going on in these things so you can more easily refute them. But I find usually somebody really smart, like Lane Norton, usually comes out and he'll yeah. dissect it and, and rather concisely explain why it's all bullshit. And you can kind of go to, you know, PhDs, the experts in this stuff who know these things and distill down as opposed to sitting down for two hours and uh, then I'll never get back. Exactly. <laughs> this crap. Did you see it? No, and for the exact same reason, I think that's actually a really good point. I think a lot of coaches will watch it and justify watching it. Be like, well, I, I need to watch it so I can talk about it with my clients. It's like, I don't disagree, but uh, I, I don't fully agree either. Like, you're gonna, if that's not your area of expertise, if that's really not what you're like really good at, like, like Lane is or whatever it is, then I would defer to someone you trust who's going to do a very unbiased, objective review on it. And for me, like, I mean, I want to see the, the West Side documentary. Uh, so eventually I'll sit down and do that. But like, I, I don't spend my time watching or consuming shit. Like, I spend so much fucking time making content. If you're like, how do you, how do you spend, how do you make so much content? It's like, that's my day from six in the morning until 10 o'clock at night is making content and interacting with people. Let's go. Let's go to the documentary. Uh, documentary. Okay. Your <laughs> film. <laughs> it's a short film. Like basically, you ate Big Macs for thirty days. Um, the show that calories matter. What? And again, you probably talked about this tons. But for our audience, what's your reasoning? And what was the response now that it's done? And like you did the video, and everyone's seen what's the aftermath. Yeah. So I'll be honest. Like I did not expect it to blow up like it did. Like I did not expect it to get the response, and I did not expect it to get as much of an emotional response as it did. like the, the, 
I literally got over 3,500 DMs uh, over the course of that month before the video came out, just like from people who were like, this has changed my life forever. And it was, I think a really cool lesson I learned as a coach was, I mean, I've been writing about this stuff since 2011 in, in, on my website, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on, on YouTube, my podcast. The biggest thing is I had so many DMS from people saying like, I've, I've followed you for years and I've heard what you've said, but watching you actually do it was what flipped the switch. And for me, this is the perfect example of I've been putting out content for the better part of a decade and it took me this long to realize, oh, maybe I should do a fucking experiment and show people exactly how to do it because now you're going to see over the next six months, I'm going to do several because clearly it worked really, really, really well. So let's play with it. Let's like go with what's working. Um, but my whole purpose with this was I wanted to show people that you can enjoy your favorite foods in moderation while not only not losing progress, but actually continuing to make progress. Now, I did have some internal battles from the beginning, like, okay, um, number one, my personal goal was actually muscle gain at the time, and I didn't want to eat in a deficit. But I knew that if, if I gained weight during this challenge, people would have been like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, you just <laughs> – so I had to go in a deficit. And I, I, I also didn't only want to lose, like, two pounds. Because like there would be people like, oh, like that's really not that much. So I went into a pretty significant deficit. So I lost seven pounds over 30 days. People lost their shit. Um, I think the most surprising part or one of the most surprising parts was the response to seeing my scale fluctuations. Because I have a very, very uh, predominantly female audience. And so many of them are very much under the assumption that males – they just lose weight every day or it's definitely like they don't see as much of a spike as women do. And they're actually, they're correct. Like women will have more fluctuations due to hormonal reasons, whatever. But I mean, there were days when I would go from 145 to over 148. And like, I got people sending me messages being like, I literally just gasped. I cannot believe that just happened. And they're like, are you okay? I was like, and then I had to make these videos. I was like, I'm going to do exactly what I've done and stay in a calorie deficit. And I promise you within three days, I'm going to go down below 145 and it would do that. And they lost their shit. They went absolutely berserk to see that daily weigh in. I don't know anyone else who's actually weighed in daily like that to show the process and people flipped out. It was super cool. And like as a coaching perspective to be like, I've been telling you all this for, for a decade, but you seeing it is actually really helping you internalize it. It's, and, and that was probably for me, one of the best parts from it. Well, I think like even like I'm with stronger you and like you get you get that question like every fucking day, mm -hmm. but they're like, who's this asshole gonna tell me that it fluctuates? You know what I mean? Because like you're still a fitness asshole. At the end of the day, like they're like, this guy doesn't know my struggle because like, you had a lot of women, <laughs> and to actually post it, you're like, listen, it does happen, and like they can't dispute that at that point, you know, in a positive way. Like you're not an asshole now. It, it's so funny. I got the overwhelming response was positive. Like. I mean, if you look at like the like dislike ratio, it's like well over five and a half thousand likes and like a little over 80 dislikes on the YouTube video, like overall, like really amazing response. There are some people who are consistently trying to find a way to like not like it. And so some people have said, oh, well, it's different because you're a, they've called me a bodybuilder. And I'm like, I'm definitely not a bodybuilder. I promise you that. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's different because like he's fit. This wouldn't work for someone who's not fit. And uh, 
it sort of goes back to being like, okay, like now what I want to do is I want to bring a client of mine who's like not in like very good shape and I want to walk them through it for 30 days or, or different challenges like that to like basically take all these fucking people who are finding ways for like why this can't work and literally walk them through it day by day in the exact same way that I did it. And I, it's, it's just so interesting to me to see how this type of a challenge where you document everything and you're fully honest fully honest like if I didn't feel good from having one like at the, after I had my first Big Mac I felt like shit documented I was like I feel awful I feel like shit I don't want to go work out and then I had to adjust because I knew I wouldn't want to work out after I had my Big Mac so I had to have my Big Macs after I worked out and then there were some people who were like oh well if you're having your Big Mac around your workout then that makes sense because you'll burn it off faster I was like Jesus Christ this is insane but overall the the response was unbelievably positive and optimistic and literally over 3,500 DMs of people being like, you changed my life. And it, it was without question, the most impactful piece of content I've ever made. I wonder how much of that. So like we, we both, we would all remember the, the supersize me days, yeah, totally. but like, I wonder how much of it, because that was a DVD at that point. So the actual distribution of it, I want to know the actual metrics. Like if yours got more distribution than that, cause like most of your audience would have seen that movie or heard about it because it was kind of the big thing, but yours was that's different because it's live happening. That's so, the movie. You got to put this in context. That's the movie but, that broke open documentary. But they still so don't. Thing but they still didn't. Hundreds of millions, I think, at the box office. So that's what I mean. But they're still questioning it. Like, that's what I mean. Like, it's weird that, like, it's still at that point. They're like, no, Jordan, like, we'll actually give them 30 days to make sure this actually works. It's almost like that experiment wasn't real, even though it happened. You, you know what's really interesting is I got a lot of people saying that they, at first, my story views on Instagram jacked up throughout the course of this challenge because people were so excited to see what my weight would be the next day. Yeah. Very interesting from like a behavioral perspective. Like people were like, what's he going to weigh? What's he going to weigh? It's, it's very interesting to me to pay attention to that type of behavior. Um, Good idea. But I think people... It also might have been a little bit of like a, a Schadenfreude thing where it's like people were like, if people didn't believe it was going to happen, they didn't believe it was going to work, they're like, we're going to watch this guy go up in flames. Like he's doing this to his entire audience. What an idiot. And <laughs> they're like, oh my God, like he's actually doing this. And, and it was so funny to see like the order of events. The first week, the first, the first five days, people were DMing me like, oh, that's gross. McDonald's is disgusting. I can't believe you're doing that. You're poisoning your body. I would never eat that. Then after about day 10 to 12, and I had lost about a pound and a half or so, the same people, you could see like the one DM, like this is disgusting. I would never eat that. The same people would DM me being like, oh my God, you're actually losing weight. I sort of want to try a Big Mac now, or I would sort of want to go to McDonald's. And it's like, it's so interesting to see that people oftentimes say they wouldn't like it just because like they think it would sound bad in society or to other people to say, God forbid you want to have a Big Mac or a McGriddle, which is by the way, like the best like fast food sandwich ever. But uh, it's so interesting. Like as soon as I show them, you can still do this. All of a sudden they're like, you know, I sort of do want to try it. And I'm like, listen, you don't have to eat McDonald's if you don't want, but let's be honest. They're delicious. Like they sell billions of these things for a reason. Like, let's just be honest about that. Was, uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you is about, you know, the larger following and the negativity. You've actually clearly hinted at how you handle the negative stuff. It doesn't seem to affect you at all. So, uh, any sort of thoughts on dealing with some of that stuff? Because occasionally I see a you know, fitness professional on social media, smaller-ish following, but then all of a sudden they're posting about 
some negativity that's coming at them. You can tell them they're really stressing the fuck out, like they weren't able to handle it. So how do you deal with it? Um, so yeah, it's it's really important to discuss. Um, I'll I'll talk about a few different things. Number one is, um, and this is the most important part. I'll say this, and this is this is one of the greatest lessons I ever learned from Gary. Um, I used to be, I used to lose my shit when someone would come on my page, whether it was Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and needlessly spew hate or tr- like, just like I would, I would get so angry. Like it, it was, it would really affect me and it would ruin my day. I actually spoke with Brett about this, like, cause, cause Brett like had similar issues where it's just like, I think the main issue is not, it's not that I'm, I'm not okay with being wrong. I'm, I'm very open to being wrong. A lot of times it's, it's that they're questioning my intent and that's just the worst. It's like, I only have the best of intent and I really mean that. So when that gets put in a question that like emotionally is a huge issue for me, but Gary brought up one of the best points that I've ever heard in my life. And I brought it up to him probably within the first 10 months of coaching. I asked him, I was like, do you ever get mad when, when, people hate on your, on your, on your post. And he was like, no. And I was like, come on. Like you get a little bit. He was like, no, no, I don't. And I was like, why? He was like, let me ask you this. Have you ever, not ever, but have you ever in the last, since you started working for me at that point? So do you ever go in other people's posts and say anything negative to them or like try and tear them down? I was like, no, of course not. He's like, even if you disagree with it, it's like, even if I disagree with it, like, I'm not going to go on their page publicly and do that. And he's like, that's because you're a happy person. That's because you're, you have stuff to do. That's important because it's more important for you to be creating content and helping people and working with your clients than it is to be going through social media, consuming someone else's content and then going out of your way to try and make them feel bad about it. And he's like, think about the mindset of that person. Think about how sad and angry and upset that person must be to be spending their time doing that on your post. And if they're doing that on your post, they're doing it on other people's posts. He's like, it's actually pretty short-sighted and obnoxious of you to get mad when in reality, you should feel bad for that person. He's like, you should legitimately have empathy and pity that person. And I'll never forget because the next time that happened, Someone went on my page and they said something, whatever. And for, I started to feel the blood boil and immediately I was like, hold on. Like this person's really in a bad place. It's crazy how quickly it worked. I DM them. I said, Hey, I just saw your comment on my post. I don't know if you had a bad day or, or what's going on, but I want to let you know, if you ever want someone to talk to them, I'm always here as a friend. They go and delete their comment. They come back in. They're like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I said that. I had a really rough day. Do you do online coaching? <laughs> Then they became a client. Whereas before I would have been like, you motherfucker, like, and like not saying that, but I would have been so aggressive about it. Meanwhile, I just tell him, Hey, if you want someone to talk to him here and he becomes a client, it's like, it's, that was like one of the most transformative moments of my entire life. And that's how I treat it now in terms of, and I still have moments where like I I let my emotions get the best of me, but I say 95% of the time, the immediate response is, I got to help that person. It's probably Gary. Gary's trying to teach you. So he had a ghost account go on there just to test you. After. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Gary's got the time to fuck around with shit no, like that. But 
I, that's that's powerful. I'm so glad I asked that question because just the way you explained that made me change how I think about it too. Because I don't tend to get too stressed out about the stuff. I let it go. But I, I know it definitely gets you hot a little bit when you still think it though. Like, yeah, you, 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 do you actually think it though? Like, even sometimes, like I guess, like has your mindset changed? I'll see shit on the internet and I'll I'll text Andrew like, can you see this shit? But now I'm thinking like, fuck, I feel so bad for the people that I'm texting you about. Well, I'm even wasting my time doing oh, it. And, and it is. And sometimes it's just a little cathartic because I have a relationship with a handful of people in our industry or we chat off air or whatever. And, you know, you, you vent a little bit about some of the irritations. But I also think that that can be healthy and cathartic, but you can't get consumed by it either. And you still have to be. Well, I think they're teaching. I think all of those conversations, though, are teaching moments to figure out who you are and where you want to go. Because at the same time, you're still going to get mad a little bit. Like, Fuck that guy, but you can you can see your feelings as they're happening and make a choice at that point. And that's the, the difference. I, so else, oh, do you first. Well, I was gonna say uh, an, another lesson that I uh, one of my favorite quotes from Gary. He's like, "Allowing your emotions to dictate your actions is the greatest sign of weakness." Yeah, and that was like, and especially in business, but in life in general, it applies to everything. And I realized that if someone was going to leave a comment on my page that allowed me to get super angry to the point where I uncontrollably replied back in a fit of anger, like that is a tremendous amount of weakness on my part. It's like, that is like, that is not something I'm proud of that. Like I feel so impulsive to then like have an angry response. It doesn't mean that you can't feel angry, but it does mean that just because you feel angry doesn't mean that justifies your impulsive action. And if you actually want to be more logical and, um, and, and uh, tactical with it, take a moment, think about that person, be empathetic to them, and you'll notice that the anger legitimately goes away, which is like, honestly, I, I feel like it's medicine because anger in your chest is poison and you can literally feel it just like when you start to realize like, man, where is that person right now? Like, where in the world are they? Where are they sitting? What are they wearing? Like, how are they feeling? Who are they going to talk to? Like, do they have any friends? Like, when all of a sudden you start really imagining that, it's like, Jesus, I got to help this person. And it, like, completely changes everything. It's, it's super cool. Uh, I'm reading, uh, speaking of books and stuff, I'm reading uh, Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last because I just finished the, uh, the Infinity Game, which actually is one of the best books I've ever read. So the Infinity Game is something I actually think people, it'll change the way you think about stuff. But in one section, he talks about sort of immediate hits of gratification, dopamine versus sort of a longer standing sense of well-being with oxytocin, the two different uh, chemical neurotransmitters. And what I've noticed is, let's say I'm stupid enough in a moment where I'm impulsive and I actually get into some argument on someone else's page. Because every once in a while, and I realize I should, I shouldn't have done that. And I remind myself, but then you get to this point where you just decide, okay, I'm, I'm walking out of this because someone else is responding with inflammatory stuff. It is immediately gratifying to respond with something nasty and aggressive. Something else is coming back your way. But after the immediate gratification, then comes the stress and irritation to go back and check on it, to respond to it. And that's a really negative feeling. But you could actually pause and say, no, I don't need to save face. I don't need to get the last word in. I'm going to leave it alone. Two days later, it doesn't fucking matter. You forgot about it. Everybody else has forgotten about it. And if you can channel that sense of, actually, I feel really good because I walked away from that, you get this better sense of satisfaction versus that need to constantly get those dopamine hits. It's exactly right. It's, it's interesting. Like The way that I think about it is that urge to reply with something nasty or snarky or like to prove them wrong is I equate it to our client's urge 
to eat something very calorie dense. And (laughs) it's like the clients who are like, I just, I just can't, I, I, I just can't say no to sugar. It's like, no, no, you can, like, you don't have to eat it. It's like, you don't have to. And like coaches will be like trying to come up with strategies and like, be like, listen, if you want it bad enough, you'll do it. It's the same thing with this. Like if you have this emotion, identify the emotion and then do your best to come up with a logical plan for what to do next. And the reason that I've, I've resonated so much with what Gary has said is because it's the quickest way to change my emotional makeup in a way that will allow me not to want that urge to essentially binge, right? To binge on by giving them that comment. It's like, that's what our job as a coach is for our clients. It's like, what can we say to change their emotional makeup so they're not immediately, I need a binge right now. And like the way that I always say is like, listen, you're allowed to binge. You're allowed to just wait 20 minutes. If in 20 minutes you still want to binge, go binge, but just wait 20 minutes. And that way, like, okay, like they're allowed to, I'm just going to wait. And it does the same type of a thing. But it's interesting. It comes full circle to like, the, the stuff we tell our clients, the same stuff you can apply to other areas. Like I was, I was thinking like when people are commenting negatively, like think about them, but like, t- like they're obviously not busy because when you're busy, you don't have those same thoughts. So it should be the same thing you tell your clients when they're like, I'm hungry and like, blah, blah, blah. I have a sense. Just stay busy, do something. And it's just interesting because the same stuff we tell our clients, we don't do ourselves. And we're talking about fitness professionals who argue internet, but it's like, just go be busy doing your job. And then, then you can allude to like, are these people even doing stuff in the fitness industry? Because they have so much time to be negative and sad. It's just sad. Something that I started to do more and more recently, I kind of did a lot of it, but I seek opportunity to do this is I unfollow things and people that tend to spend most of their time on the contentious shit that tends to maybe get a little bit of rise out of me. And while we don't talk politics on the podcast, I'll make a quick point that we just had our election in Canada. And so there's a lot of anger and frustration in our province, Alberta, as in the, as a result of that. I'm not going to get into that. But I've unfollowed any of that stuff. On Twitter, I tend to follow some of the, the political stuff. You should tell yourself you need to be informed. But you realize, wait a minute, no, this is a time sink and a waste. And there's really not a lot of value in, in knowing this. If there's something really ca- catastrophic or major, uh, it'll be in the mainstream news. It'll be on everybody's feed. But I'm aggressively unfollowing both the commentators on these sorts of things, not just politics, sometimes it's other uh, social issues or uh, even just people who are negative on their social media. Uh, and again, those news sources and individuals. And those are people I like. I have unfollowed people on my Facebook that I really like, but what they tend to post is something I don't want to be exposed to. And I realize I don't need to be exposed to that. It's just one of these ways that I get less and less of these distractions or emotional interruptions in my productivity. And since I've done that recently, my productivity has skyrocketed. So, it, it, I, I agree completely. And it's one of those things where it's like, we tell our clients, listen, if you see someone like, if, if for whatever reason you get feel really bad and upset when you see a jacked, a jacked person or like a, like a super like lean model, if that makes you feel really bad about yourself, unfollow them. Number one, because you never know if they're Photoshopping that shit or whatever. But number two is even if they're not, if that's having that effect on you and you're leaving Instagram feeling awful about yourself, then change how you're using Instagram. 
right? It's like, or don't use Instagram at all. Like it's whatever you choose. But a lot of people are quick to blame social media. It's like, you're the one who's choosing how you use social media. Like you're the one who's doing it. So if I know for a fact that when I started going on Twitter more, and I've really been focusing a lot on Twitter lately, there was a period of time for about two months that I noticed my, my anger and frustration immediately after I got off Twitter was the highest it had been in a long time because Twitter is a, is a cesspool of political outrage. It's just like, it's outrage. And you can, I've never so quickly ended up on some random person's page that I have no idea how I got there from this crazy thread, just following all this stuff. And all of, it's been two hours. I'm like, what the fuck did I just do with my time? Like, how did I get here? So I made a rule. I don't go on my Twitter home feed. I only go on my notifications and mentions. And I tweet from there. I will not look at my home feed ever. Because if I go there, I'm fucked. Like, it's, designed. Not, it's designed to be... Because like, you're only yeah, you're only trying to get viral. Like everyone's trying to get viral, but with Twitter, it's like it's making it so short that you have to be quick-witted or like slashing with your tongue. Jordan, you got a little more time here. We yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, cool. Well, uh, we got a couple more things we were going to talk to you about. This has actually been so good that uh, I actually think this is truly one of my favorite episodes. Sometimes I, I've I've enjoyed every guest we've had in one way or another. For Who sure. you sewer? But I feel like no, I'm not sewer anybody. But I feel like. I may have taken more from this conversation than I have from almost any other podcast we've done. And it goes back to why I've sought out your podcast episodes and the stuff that you put out there. And that's my preferred way actually of, you know, consuming Jordan Syatt is actually through podcast appearances that you've made, right? Because I'm, I'm hearing uh, the free flow of your, of your thoughts and, and ideas versus some, maybe some more of the curated stuff. And, and again, anyone who isn't following Jordan, you should be following because there's great stuff there too, but I just enjoy the free flow of what you're doing. So, I guess we could look at it this way. Uh, being social media savvy, uh, your business savvy, your customer savvy, uh, have the last few years in the industry unfolded kind of as you expected, if you had any expectations at all? Or are you, are you surprised by anything as to the direction our industry has gone or maybe even aspects of your career? Um, that's a good. In terms of the industry, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. And I think uh, I, like this is very much truthful. So I'll start by saying when I was growing up, I, I was in special education, right? Like I was in special education growing up. Like I was not like a, a, a traditionally smart student. And I, I'm actually truly awful at math in turn, like very, very bad at math. Like it's, I've, I've been on live videos and podcasts before where I've tried to do math in my head and like it's worked out terribly. Um, but really I, I'm not, the most, I really don't think I'm the most school smart, book smart type guy. And I also think that's helped me a lot as a business owner. Um, because what that's led me to do is not think very much about anything other than what I'm focused on. Like I don't analyze anything at all. Like I, and it's, I really just think it's ignorance. Truth. I just think it's ignorance. Like I, I don't go in the mindset of like, what if or da da da? Like I never go there. I just I think I'm just like dull. But I think it's worked out very well for me because I I have no idea. Like I I would never have guessed where the industry is going, and I would never have guessed where I'm going. And a lot of people are like, where do you want to be? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't like. I just I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is 
I have no allegiance to any platform. I have no allegiance to, to anything other than my one goal, which is to try and help as many people as possible for free. That doesn't mean that I won't charge for my services, which I do, but my main priority is to put out as much free content as I possibly can that's as high quality as possible. And as I see new platforms coming out and as, as I see attention going somewhere, I think it's a, a good skill I picked up from Gary is looking at where attention is and looking where people are interacting. I'll go there. And I, I don't care where, what the platform is, but my main, my, my absolute main concern and priority is getting good information out and interacting with people. And, and it's even changed a little bit in terms of before it was all based on just getting the information out. Now as a content creator and realizing what people actually will pay more attention to and internalize, I've realized the value of, of some comedic license in there. I've realized the value of, um, of really being, being shockingly honest with everything. Um, in terms of like, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of doing that many takes in my videos. For example, I don't know if you watched the Big Mac challenge, but if you did, did you see the diarrhea scene? Where I, there, there's a lot of them, but no, I didn't see the diarrhea. I can already picture it in my mind. Basically, I, I said diarrhea about 20 times in a scene, and like I was saying it the wrong way. And literally, as I was doing it in my head, I was like, oh, fuck, I should redo this thing. And as soon as in my head, as I say, I should redo this take, yeah. I know that I can't. No. Because people like to see real. People like to see that. So a lot. I think when I was younger, and if you look back at my content, I was writing in a way that was trying to impress other coaches. Whereas now, I write in a way that's trying to help people who need it. And usually what that means is using a lot of Harry Potter references, speaking in a way that's so simple that a six-year-old can understand it. And a lot of times like breaking all grammar rules, not being like using smart writing, using just speech style writing and just doing whatever I can to make people look forward to my content, which usually means making it fun and enjoyable and like unexpected and not doing the same thing all the time and, and interacting with people. I spend the first 30 minutes after I post a new Instagram post every single time replying to every single comment for the first 30 minutes, every single one. Um, randomly, I'll go through my, my Instagram or my Twitter or I actually had a funny story once where like I'll go through and I'll see new people following me and I'll just send them like, hey, thank you for following. And a lot of people, and I'll put their name in it. And they'll be like, is, it, is this a bot? And I'll be like, no, it's me. And then I'll either send a video of me or like do a voice memo. And I, I do this every day, like different types of things every day. And uh, I did it on Instagram and then I did it again. I started doing it on Twitter and I got a message from this one guy. He's like, dude, is, it, is this the same guy? He's like, you did this to me on Instagram like two weeks ago. And I was like, I was like, yeah, man. Like I didn't realize, like, I didn't realize that I had done it to him as well. He's like, this is fucking insane. He's like, you got X followers here, X followers here. It's like, you just spend all fucking day, like randomly messaging people. I'm like, I spend a significant portion of my time doing that. Um, so, I mean, years ago, if I had, I, I would never have guessed this is what I would be doing now, but I, I could not tell you how much I value the opportunity to interact with the people who are interacting with me. And I think that a lot of coaches who are struggling to get clients online or struggling to, to build a brand online, you're focusing too much on the number of followers that your profile says and not on the actual individual people who are at your profile right now. 
It's like the more you focus on those individuals and show them your, give them your time for, I'm, I'm fucking sick of these coaches who are like, never give away free information. Like I, you would not believe how many people from Instagram I give my number and get on the fucking phone with from Instagram to this day. Like it, it's bewildering to me how many coaches think that it's like a bad thing to get on the phone and help someone for free. Well, you did an episode of uh, your podcast with Pat Flynn, and you even said that it was one day where you spent eight hours just getting on the phone with people and helping them with what was going on with their Instagram, right? And, I mean, yeah, the post is out there. I was like, DM me. Oh, my God. This happened the other day. So that was in 2017. I'm so glad you brought that up. In 2017, I put up on my Instagram. It's still there. The post is there. I was in a Dunkin' Donuts. I took a picture of myself, and I said, DM me your phone number. I'm going to call you. And I got a ton and, and I, I spent eight hours straight on the phone, just randomly talking to people, helping people. The other day I was on, or on the, the second to last day of the, of the Big Mac challenge, I was going through my DMs. Someone sent me a DM and, and they had replied to my story and like nothing of substance, but they replied to my story with like a, an emoji. I looked at the previous DM they had sent me, which was their number in response to that 2017 post. I called them. We got it on camera. He flipped a shit. I called him and he didn't pick up. And I called him again, didn't pick up. I texted him. I was like, hey, man, this is Jordan Syatt. Pick up your phone. <laughs> he was like, is this really you? I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, you DM me your number in 2017. We were on the phone for 20 minutes. And now he's an inner circle member. His wife's an inner circle member. I didn't sell him on it. I was just, it just we spoke for 20 minutes and I helped him. And it's just like, even if they didn't do that, even if he unfollowed me on Instagram after that, like it doesn't matter. It's just, if you're a coach because you actually like coaching people, then don't let some fucking mastermind person telling you that like you shouldn't be doing anything for free make you think it's bad to do shit for free. If you like coaching people, fucking coach people regardless of like how much you're making. And I guarantee you, the more you do that for free, the better it's going to end up on the back end. You actually remind me of a, like one of my buddies is Ryan Fisher and I was down in Lake Tahoe with him. Anyways, he, he does his Instagram very similar. It's just like, he's like recording stuff and answering stuff, but it's just like his whole method behind the scenes is like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do me. And I like doing this stuff and you can see it because it's not curated because he fucked up so many things that's going on. It's just interesting because that's, that does show through, even though some people can't have the filtered view of it and be like, Oh, this is curated. When it's not curated, it does make it more authentic. Whether or not that's what people are going for, it's still nice to see. A hundred. There's more trust built that way. That is exactly right. That's people. It's. I think the biggest word of 2019 was real. Like just like I appreciate real. I how like this is so real. You're so real. And I kept seeing that pop up in my comments over and over again. Like, this is so real. You're so real. Like go follow him. He's so real. It's just like. It was interesting how that word came out to be like a, that was what people chose, but it's a huge compliment when, when people are looking at you online and they're like, you're being real with us. Like, I appreciate that. Like it hits home with me. Like stop putting up a front, stop acting, be yourself. Stop like looking in the camera and thinking like for me, and I know it's difficult. It's not easy. Like when you're talking to a camera, it can like be very nerve wracking for me. When I look into a camera, I always pretend that I'm just looking at one of my client's eyeballs, just one client and I'm teaching that one client. And usually when I'm teaching one client in person, I'm also joking around. I'm also like fucking around. I'm like being goofy and that's just how I am. But like, that's what allows it to come through as real because I'm be being very real.
Well, that's a good point. So like we were, we were filming some stuff for Stronger Experts. Anyways, long story short is the presenter, so Pat Davidson, we needed to get people in the audience to teach you when we're filming it. Cause he's like, I just suck teaching when there's no one there. Cause there's just no one to teach to and it just comes off really dry. So that is a skill that like, I like that idea of looking at. So anyways, it's, it's an interesting thing because that even comes off like not being engaged because there's nobody in front of you. So like being able to do that on your own is kind of, that's a good skill to have for Instagram or just for any social media platform. Yeah, it might be really useful hint for anybody who is struggling to get in front of a video and, and create content. This goes back to what we started talking about is getting out there and being prolific with the information you're getting out to your audience. And even if you suck at it initially, just keep doing you it. You probably suck shit when you started. Go go <laughs> back go back to my 2011 YouTube videos. You will shit yourself. It was awful. It's it so was much harder to look at your stuff now. Last time it was like I think it was like 2000. 18 or 2017 it was easier to go back and see now there's so many posts it's like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost yeah good. you hide your you hide your past now because there's too many posts yeah it's true but you know it's funny like i would never imagine deleting that stuff because it's like i, I know there are a lot of coaches like who will go back and delete something that was old because like they don't want it to be up there i'm like don't you dare like don't you dare people love that stuff and, and by the way, one thing that I, I, don't, I don't always do it, but more recently I've been doing it because I've gotten such a great response to it. If, if like I really screw up a word or if I like really like mess up, I take all the bloopers and I put them at the end of the video every time. People love because that. People fucking love bloopers because it's like I mess up. I'm human. Like people love it. Yeah, I posted one of those not too long ago because I was filming some uh, video and then Christian Thibodeau comes back and tags me and like, eh, like I'll sh and he had posted this like a year ago. <laughs> he posted his bloopers. Yeah, like, he posted his bloopers, right? So we posted ours. We did a round table with with Fisher, so Ryan Fisher. I think you I know. love Ryan by yeah. the way. He's the fucking man. He's the, he's a he's the man. But we had Christian Thibodeau and Pat Davidson, and we were talking on. We kind of finished it. We started talking about fix. Regardless, it was still recording, and Ryan's like, "Don't you dare stop recording this! This is going to be gold." So we like, so we kept recording and just went with it, and like that's how we like advertise for. He's like, "No, man, you don't." And that's why I said you reminded me of him because he was just like, "We need to use this. We're going to talk about dicks. Let's go!" And it was like five minute conversation about dick sizes with all these smart people, and I was, but people love it. Like they like that more because it shows that they're human. Like it's like, "Oh, you guys are smart people, but they're still like me." Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, right. right. Which you can't, you can't fake that stuff. You, if you fake the conversation about, we'll just use dicks, like it's going to come off really awkward as opposed to if it's just a bunch of people joking. Like you know that's real. Exactly. The, the yeah. <laughs> if people can hear what a real laugh is. Like they know yeah. if you're actually laughing. And it's so interesting to me when I am legitimately like belly laughing in a video, people love it. It's it's just like people like to see other people happy and people like positivity. And it's not that I don't think it's anything special about a laugh as much as it's just bringing people into your world. And when your world is a place where people can learn and, and feel welcome and feel happy rather than in a, in a world where there's so much complaining and so much just negativity and pessimism when you are the one in their life, even if it's on fucking YouTube or Instagram, when you're the one consistent, the one consistent positive and optimistic factor, then you are literally a drug that people consistently want to be around because 
why wouldn't people want to be around someone who is making them feel happier and more optimistic and encouraged and like as though they can actually do this and someone supporting them. It's like, that's really how you need to approach your content to let people know that you believe in them. You're there for them and you're fucking human. Let's have fun with it. When the laugh is real, you said the best, or I don't even know if you said it like that, but when you laugh, it does give people an insight to your brain. Cause like what you think is funny, you can't fake a laugh. So automatically if you post that shit, they're like, oh, okay, he, he, he's into that stuff or like thinks that's funny. And it is an insight to you for real. It's, it's so funny. Like, and we're not going to go into politics, but there are politicians who try to fake laugh or fake smile, clearly being, <laughs> and the responses under those videos are out. People are like, why are you doing that? Like we can tell it's just not real. People get, angry because they feel like they're trying to dupe them it's yeah. like if you're not if you're not laughing don't laugh if something's funny laugh like it's just in other words be yourself some people are gonna fucking hate you <laughs> other people are gonna love you and i'd rather have some people hate me and some people love me being myself than pretend to be someone else and have everybody love me because that means that I'm not going to like who I'm pretending to be, even if everyone else loves me. And that's poison. And no matter how like polite and friendly and cuddly someone might seem in our industry, someone out there will blow them up every once in a while. And I remember this time and you know, we're all friends with Dean Somerset. He put, I can't remember what the hell he posted on his wall, but someone lit him the fuck up. Someone lit Dean Somerset up and you know, he was like, Grace, but this is like, year year and a half ago and i wish i could remember the context but i'm just remembering this stuff and he was chill and cool about it but I, I, he handled it professionally it was just funny to see that someone actually got twisted up enough to blow up one of the nicest guys in the industry Literally fake it's laugh. so crazy yeah. so all i think about the fake laughing thing is american psycho like people who fake laugh are <laughs> like that's all i could think about the whole time was just like politicians fake laughing it's like no wonder everyone hates them oh yeah we should ask Jordan because he's oh, saying yeah, he doesn't like, like self-help books. What's your favorite self-help what's, book? What's your favorite self-help book? No. What's your favorite book in general or anything you've ever read? It doesn't have to be fiction or nonfiction, but. So I'll give you two. And uh, aside from the Harry Potter series, um, Chip and Dan Heath are two of my favorite authors, um, like of all time. They're, they're, I think they've single-handedly influenced my content creation from a scientific perspective more than anyone else probably made to stick especially made to stick was life-changing made to stick was absolutely life-changing and literally i just got like the hair stand up on my arms that was by far one of the, and i i reference this book everywhere but that book is, is like my bible it's like it's unbelievable and more recently the power of moments is i think made to stick for me was more of a it was less of like oh wow this is cool to learn and more of like oh this just makes sense like okay this is like reinforcing what like you should know as a content creator whereas the power of moments is like this is fucking cool like i'm learning some really interesting insight into human behavior and psychology and understanding this can radically impact how you how you interact with people and how you positively affect them over the course of their life. It goes back to what you're saying about like calling people, 
them a message, if you're creating such a powerful memory for them, association with you, you're probably earning lifelong fans. I, I agree, Power Moments, if you're in our industry, you should actually go read both books. Switch, probably, maybe their best known book, probably was one of the first books I ever really read in this industry when I started getting into this stuff. That one's really important for understanding human behavior and change. But I think their other books are probably better uh, for success as well. They're not self. They're not self-help books. It's kind of they're informative, if anything, and they kind of tie things in logically to science. And like, you have to actually, you can't just take that book and like, oh, my life's changed. I feel good. Like you have to consume it. I you think know? when I reference self-help, I I'm more speaking of the like a uh, unfuck yourself. I I, I hate I, that one. I, Anything that's like, love yourself in this moment, da da da. It's just like, all right. Number, uh, it really fucking doesn't. Like, how the fuck do you just tell someone to love themselves? Like, if, it's actually pretty ironic because if you have to tell yourself, all right, I, I need to love myself, then inherently that means you don't love yourself. Like, just because you're trying to love yourself, so you already don't. So it's like a weird paradox that we fall into. It's like when people are trying to chase happiness, it's like, okay, well, I, the goal is happiness. So if your goal is to be happy, that means right now you're not happy. So how are you going to get there just by that? You have to have more specific goals, and that's what's going to help you get there, like more than just being like, okay, I want to be happy now. So it's like I think a lot of the issues I have with the self-help books of like only focusing on like living in the present and love yourself. It's like it's not bad, and I use that voice, and I'm, I'm joking around, and I know some people like they really love it, and that's great if you love it. The issue I have with it is when it – doesn't give you practical application advice or opportunities to move forward and you consistently get another one and another one and another one and you consistently don't move forward towards achieving your goals. If you love it and it makes you feel better and you're also moving forward towards achieving your goals, no problem whatsoever. But if you've read seven of them and you're still nowhere closer to achieving your goals, you need to get a new type of book. Well, it's, it's what I, and it's not, I actually like Simon Sinek's why, but a lot of people, when they read these books, they're like, I can't have this until I understand this, my why, why I'm not happy. And it, it's, it blocks action. And so a lot of it's like the what or the how of things, those books almost tell you, you have to feel these things to get, but like give them, like you said, a blueprint because most people stop action because they don't have these things that all these smart people say they should have. Like you don't have to have those things. Just put one foot in for the other. You should. My favorite type of books are the books that, shift the paradigm on your attitude about things. So I'll use a book like Extreme Ownership is probably the best example I've got. Um, things like uh, Lidgepin is uh, Essentialism, Greg McKeon's Essentialism. These will shift your attitude in a positive way to, towards doing more things, taking action, taking responsibility, ownership. And those books in particular have really shaped how I go about my career and everything, and a lot of good has come of it. So I think that, and all the Chip and Dan Heath stuff is great. Uh, you said you had two, so I'll throw out to the second one. Well, so the power moments and made to stick, like those two for sure. Um, and then, uh, shit, if I'm going to think of another one. Um, let's see. Um, actually, you know, I'm just going to leave it with those two for right now. Like, that's, it, that's what you meant by two. I got you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stump them. No, that's good. He's only read, he's been too busy. He only read two books. Andrew's read like 100. I should. What's up? Andrew's read like 100. 80 a year. It's about 80 a year. And they're almost all audio at on T-Temp speed. And that's like what I mean, I said, but that's why I said you like I, books, though. I enjoy it. And recently, I've sort of gotten, I even put up a post looking for some ideas because I've started a lot of books. I was like, ah, this isn't very good. Ah, this isn't very good. 
maybe discarding stuff earlier rather than reading them just to count them to a number that's a goal. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. You can really get caught up in if you start doing that. Sort you're, of shit. you're like a curator of books. Like, so for instance, not that matters, but like everyone has their book recommendations. But I know Andrew has read everything, so he has a good enough filter to know that this book is exactly like this book. And so he, if he dismisses a book, I know it's okay not to read because <laughs> like he's read enough for your opinion that like it might not have mattered before, but now it does because you, you've read everything. Well, it's like Mark Not Fisher's, like, Mark Fisher's, uh, one of the guys, Mark Fisher, Mark Cigar is another one. These guys are prolific book readers and you get to a point where people start coming to you for this sort of stuff and you can add value that way. And it's something that I just enjoy. It takes very minimal effort. Uh, you know, I'm in a position where like downloading audiobooks and the cost of them is actually not that big. So I can, I can comfortably do that stuff and consume them quickly. And yeah, it's just another place where you become a bit of an authority in the industry and people look up to that. So another wrong. I love that. That's awesome. Um, this is pretty easy, but where, where do people find you? Like, where, where, where are you spending most of your time now for the people who are just kind of discovering you? Uh, I'm doing a lot on my podcast recently, uh, the Jordan Syatt mini podcast, and then also um, my YouTube. So my podcast and my YouTube are really where I'm spending the most of my time, putting a lot of my effort. And then also Instagram is, is basically daily, which is still a uh, Still playing around with that, but I mean, if you Google my name, Jordan Syatt, like you'll everything will come right up. Cool. We really appreciate the fact that you came back to chat with us. Um, you're, I think, one of the few podcast guests that we've ever had that we ha we haven't actually met in person before. But I know through the travels, the industry stuff, it'll happen at a certain point. There've been others where podcasts first and then got to meet, and you know, we all have so much in common in our industry. And one of the cool things about the vast majority of the people who are really well known and a lot of the names we've said are very down-to-earth normal people and if you're one of our listeners who really has gotten out to one of these things when you get to meet people like jordan go up say hi you'll find that they're really chill and down to earth well, we're assuming that we can't tell now <laughs> jordan said people trust him and they, whatever the word of the year was and like go with it but really yeah yeah, yeah. no it's, i i actually i really like it when people come up and say hi like it's it's one of my favorite things when people just randomly come up and like hey like follow you on Instagram, follow me on YouTube. Like I love that stuff. Like it makes me so happy. So hundred percent absolutely come up and say hi. Cool. Well, again, everyone, thanks for tuning in. If you're finding this episode through, you know, Jordan's feed and you haven't listened to any of our other stuff, well, we've had Jordan on before, so you can cycle back for that. Uh, Jordan is coaching with Paul Carter. We've had Paul on, you mentioned Brian Cron. Brian holds a record. He's been on our podcast five times <laughs> and a lot of other names who we've said, we've discussed, They've all been on here. So scroll down through, check out the, the list of professionals through our 110, I think, episodes now um, on the mainstream. And then Guido's also got a side project, which we actually do feed through ours. You can check out his side project as well, Barbell Me Search, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. And but most of all, just thank you for staying tuned. And we will continue to bring you industry leader guests and undiscovered gems uh, as we get more episodes out. Shut up and sit down.